but I'm just saying, like, if you look at a Massive Attack album, they contribute maybe one third of the vocals. Yeah. They all they always get so many guest artists. That's you true. Know what I mean, yeah. So it, it's the collective element of it. Yeah, because Holochi Nation is just the two guys, right? I think it used to be three, and then yeah, it's down they, to the two. I think when they started, they when back when they were a tribe called Red. I think they had a couple of rappers that were part of the group. Yeah, I think yeah. so. And then when they switched to Hallucination, it was more um, focused on just the two DJs and uh, whoever they brought yeah. in. It's still going to be a cool uh, episode. It's going to be the first episode where I'll actually feel somewhat hip. <laughs> Instead of someone's always waxing nostalgic. So. Yeah. Well, it's also, they're still current. It's not like it's yeah. like, well, that's, why haven't they done something? Well, they're still doing it. It's just a matter of time. It's interesting you mentioned that, too, because got that in the script here about uh, Mariana's Trench. So, yeah. what a perfect segue to start the episode, but only if you are recording. Are oh, you I'm recording? recording? Oh, you are. Yeah. Then let us jump into it for the week. Thank you, Classified. I forgot to thank you earlier. But uh, it's Ted. Hopefully he doesn't sue us. Oh, he he probably will eventually. (laughs) I I, I have no ifs, ands, or buts that uh, we'll have to eventually stop uh, using that as our intro. I remember um, for a little while there, Bryn and I were doing a uh, wrestling podcast uh, that we just would put up on Podbeam. And our entrance music was uh, Streetlight Manifesto... uh, What's that? It's either uh, We Will Fall Together or it's... It was We Will Fall Together was our intro. And it worked really well going into the big horns and everything like that. And uh, I think we got five episodes and then uh, we were told to stop. Not by Streetlight Manifesto, but by Podbean. Oh. Yeah, because they finally got around to listening to our episodes and they're like, nope, copyright. So we had to use just generic entrance music which actually kind of worked because a lot of like the old WWE entrance music was just like um yeah it's just it's just kind of like nondescript beats and stuff so yeah so we were able to just take one of those that I recognized and uh and use it I mean classified seems like a nice enough guy I'm sure if I like emailed him or emailed his label and just say hey we've been making this podcast we literally use a small snippet of oh canada we don't even use any of the lyrics no one can no one can uh, trademark oh canada it's a fucking anthem <laughs> okay all right let me tell you a little story about classified in fact you could probably look this up online this interview i did with a thunder bay uh like kid kid friendly interviewer named Taylorpedia. So you can look okay. her up online. She'll have the video that she did with me back when I worked for Magic 99.9 up here. I was supposed to interview Classified on the air in preparation for his show that night in Thunder Bay. Um, he blew me off to do an interview with her. And I think at the time she was only eight years old. So, <laughs> And I talked to her. I mentioned that to her in the interview. And apparently she said that... Uh, they had a correspondence going for a long time because Inner Ninja, she was getting bullied, and Inner Ninja's like about standing, you know, use your Inner Ninja, yeah. don't let bullies get you down. That meant a lot to her. So she, they had actually been in talks for a while where we were just the local radio station, and I don't work for them anymore, so I could trash them all I want. But I'm not going <laughs> to do that. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah. So he uh, he blew me off, but his excuse to blow me off was to do uh, an interview with an yeah, eight year old like, girl totally different. who was incredibly inspired by his music. So I, di- I didn't take it that hard. After I talked to, to her m- about it, yeah. Not to mention the uh, there's it's a trend. Like I've seen videos of Brian Fallon from the Gaslight Anthem getting interviewed by a small child. I yeah. think it's just a trend. So and you know, what's what's going to get more viral likes? 
uh, a cute kid who's inspired by your lyrics or some grizzled old DJ is like, who do we got coming in? Oh, this guy? I know nothing of his music? All right, bring him in. You see, I'm very enthusiastic and I'm gracious. I know, but I'm saying, like, uh, there's so many DJs who have to do, like, so many of these interviews that they're just like... <sighs> Shit, that's another true. one. That's true. A lot of, and especially, I mean, Bookie Dave, Dave Bookman, the late great Dave Bookman, was the best at it. But so many guys have problems with it when it's like, Ugh, I gotta fake such interest when I don't like this band one iota. Whereas Bookie was like, legitimate. Like he struck me as the type of guy who'd be like, What do you got to say? Tell me. Yeah. And he's like he like he could be some asshole on the street, and he would be that. Uh, I would have loved to have met that guy. He seemed like a good guy. Well, my, my big thing, and you probably heard it when I talked to Daniel uh, last week from Serial Joe, is I just get too starstruck, and I get nervous, yeah. and I get, <laughs> really? <laughs> I just do that laugh the whole time. <laughs> and I just, I'm very, uh, you know what? To some people, like musicians and stuff like that, they're not a big deal to them. But to me, they're a big deal, because these were yeah. celebrities to you and me growing up. And talking to him last week, he was a celebrity in my eyes, you know what well, I mean? It's like uh, and if when we... I got to do that interview with Brian Clem from, uh, uh, whatchamacallit? Uh, Suburban, Suburban Legends. Legends. I can't even remember his name. I, yeah. I wasn't all schoolgirl gushing like oh, you were, but right. uh, I was a professional. But oh. it was a good interview. I'll tell you, most of the uh, interviews I have are like that. Uh, I can tell you the worst interview I ever did. Okay. I was with Brutus the Barber Beefcake. Do you remember him? <laughs> yeah. Hulk Hogan's best friend. And I'm a huge wrestling fan. And uh, I remember I got to interview Tatanka, and he was awesome. He came early and, like, stayed late and recorded a bunch of promos for us. Like, this guy was, like, something you would never see from, like, a jaded professional professional wrestler. He was so enthusiastic. Um, yeah. And then I got to interview one of the Highlanders. They were an old tag team in WWE. Interviewed that guy. He was really cool. Um, but then when I interviewed Brother Brudai, I was all nervous and stuff <laughs> like that. And he, uh, yeah, sure up. He showed up with his pinking shears that he uses his, uh, uh, for his, what's it called, uh, to cut people's hairs after the match, right? And... I go and I introduce him after the song. Like, Coming up after this, you know, we're gonna be talking to Brutus, the brother, Beef, Barber Beefcake, about his match this weekend. I turn, he's asleep, fast asleep <laughs> in the chair, and I'm like, hey, you might want to wake up. We're about to do the interview, and he's like, sorry, I was up all night, brother. <laughs> and he was out of it the entire time. So he's out of it, and meanwhile, I'm fanboy over here, going, oh, here he is, wow. It was, uh, it just wasn't a good mix. That'd be My funny energy if he was just and like... his energy just kind of clashed. So he took a picture with me at the end. I lost it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it just was kind of a, he, he was, he, he, he was not a morning person. Tatanka was a morning person. Brutus the Brother Beefcake, not a morning person. That'd be funny if he's just like, hey, uh... You need to take it down a notch. I need, I need my links here. <laughs> That's enough, guy. <laughs> that would be funny. Oh, well, you know what? We don't have to worry about it because there's no interviews this week. But you will hear me get fanboy a little bit on this episode because I was not that into Mariana's Trench before we did this episode. Having done the episode and listening to their entire discography, I can tell you... I might consider myself to be a Mariana's Trench fan. I go that far. If they came to Thunder Bay next time, I'm going to go out of my way to try to see them. Like, well, this was spectacular. This was great. 
yeah. And as someone who has seen them live before they actually got huge, um, they it doesn't matter if they're playing to an arena full or, you know, a couple hundred bar patrons, they give it each performance. So, like, Josh Ramsey is a very energetic, outgoing frontman, and that's what you need, and he's got the talent to back up his energy. You know what I mean? He's not some ham just, you know, slap dicking around on the stage trying to be funny like a Dane Cook out there being big. He's got so much energy that guy and he's he's good. Well, let's 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 get into that because I first heard of Marianne's Trench through you. So why yeah. don't you walk around uh, walk me through your first experience with Marianne's Trench? Okay. So, it was summer of I want to say it was 04, it was just before we uh, I went to college in Niagara. Or no, 05. Yeah. It would have been 05 because I remember you did the show and then I was telling people, hey, that huge guy, yeah, we met all these bands uh, when he did that show <laughs> uh, in Hess Village. Yeah, yeah, okay, 05. Yeah, it would have been like summer of 05 because the album, like Fix Me, came out in 06. And so, yeah, summertime 05, I was bouncing for uh, the security company. If you can imagine a 6'8 guy being a bouncer, what a shock. Um, and so normally I just bounced at this bar called Filthy McNasty's. I was like the smoking patio guy. I'm like, oh, only 10 people out here. And I never had to be on the dance floor, which I love because the one time it's I did seat, try to break man. up a fight. No. Yeah. I'm, the yeah. one time I did break up a fight, I went about it the whole wrong way. What you're, what you're supposed oh, okay. to do. Let's take it. We'll take a detour in here about this. Yeah. Yeah. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to, you know, flash your little flashlight and warn people and say, there's a problem right there. And then you all go in together. So, and what you're supposed to do is one person is supposed to grab someone, pull them out of the mix. Just so that way, just you remove them from the environment. You know what I mean? It's like smothering a flame with like a rag. Just cut the, cut it out. What I did is I, because I have such a long, like, seven-foot wingspan, I literally grabbed one guy by the shoulder and the other guy, and I just kept them apart long enough, and they're still swinging. They didn't hit me, uh, but I just, I could have got myself, like, dinged up. But luckily, I held them apart long enough Jeez. that the two other bouncers came in and did what I was supposed to do. The guy just pulled them and dragged them, like, right down the stairs. There was, yeah. a, there was a stairway right there, and then the other guy's like, you're lucky do it this way next time. <laughs> Jeez, you're lucky and, you got that albatross wingspan. Yeah. That they weren't able and, to connect with each other, were you? Yeah. Jeez. Um, so, yeah, so they, my boss did, like, a special Saturday night assignment, and he's like, yeah, we're, we're bouncing this show because the Filthy McNasty's, for people who were of drinking age in the mid-2000s, might remember there was one on Eglinton, one in Oakville, one in Burlington, and one in Toronto. Or sorry, Hamilton on Upper James. And so this one was the one in like the Oakville, Mississauga area. And okay. it was Theory of a Dead Man and Mariana's Trench. And they were doing just the bar show. And Mariana's Trench was the opener. And I'm st- my boss, he's like, you're too big. So I don't want you like anywhere near the bar because you'd be blocking people. So he's like, you know, hang out by the side of the, like the, quote unquote stage it was like literally a riser um and just kind of help the band watch their gear make sure people aren't trying to sneak in the back door nothing like that uh so i was like i can do that 
and I met Josh, the lead singer. Cool. He's like, hey man, do you have a do you have a flashlight? I was like, yeah. He's like, he's just kind of futzing through his guitar case looking for stuff. And he's we chatted for a minute, and then I he went away, and then I was chatting with the drummer Ian. He's like just kind of tapping away in his warm up pad, waiting Ian for the show Castleman. to start. Yes. Yeah, that's yes. the one. And uh, he just like and he didn't need anything from me. He just said, "How's it going?" And I was like, "Good." Like, tell me about your band. He's like, "Oh, we're from Vancouver." And blah 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 blah. And I, and I just very nice guys. Cool. And they they put on a show, or they they were the opener, and they were a tight live band. So that's why when it came to when Fix Me came out, I think I picked it up the following Christmas. Because I remember this, you and me and my friend Leah went to the mall on Boxing Day. Okay. And, and I picked up Square that one. CD. Square one. Yeah. yeah. And I picked that CD up because I saw it. I'm like, oh, this is that band that I bounced for. And uh, and I guess Leah knew them. And she scoffed at it because she was more of like a hipster type. So she's like, ugh. And she just thought, paid them no mind. And I put it on and I was quite like uh, pleasantly surprised by that first album. Well, we'll get into the first album in just a second because um, I've got some thoughts having re-listened to it, but also having listened to the discography entirely. The first album is interesting, but there's not a whole lot of history to get through before we get to that. So let's get into it, shall we? Uh, Frontman, Joss Ramsey. You know he's actually two months younger than me. He's older than you by a couple of months, but he's two months younger than me. He's lived a much more interesting life than I have. (laughs) Give the guy that. Uh, Born in Vancouver to a musical family, his mother was a vocal teacher, and his father owned Little Mountain Sound Studio, which we might have talked to uh, uh, talked about a little bit in the Paolas episode. Yeah, that's why that sounded very familiar when I read that. Yeah, um, it was a favorite of Bob Rock, as well as Bob Fairbairn. Fairbairn, sorry. Yeah, Saturday. Uh, who used it to record Metallica. Now, Bob Rock used it to record Metallica's Black Album, and Fairbairn used it to record a Slippery When Wet by Bon Jovi and Permanent Vacation Pump and Get a Grip by Aerosmith. So yeah. the stars of rock and roll came through Little Mountain Sound Studio. Now, Josh officially started his career in music in 1999 as the frontman of the band The Ramsey Fiction, which also included his sister Sarah on keyboard. So it was a family affair. Uh, yeah. This band wouldn't work out, though, part due to Ramsey's heroin addiction, which saw him get kicked out of McGee Secondary School. 1999, if he was born in 85, like you and me were, He's 14. Doing yeah. heroin. Jesus. I mean, well, the thing is, like you said, he's a musical family. You know, artsy people tend to run in sometimes unsavory uh, circles. Because, you know, if you're a band and you're, even if you're playing little coffee houses or whatever, you're running in an artsy crowd. Sometimes it's a more mature crowd. It's and true. they could be a, t- a terrible influence on a young kid. I watched Basketball Diaries last night. And that's what that movie's whole <laughs> all about. Well, you know what? We were used to this hoity-toity suburb. We weren't handi- hanging out with industry types like yeah. uh, Ramsey probably was back then. Uh, but he was able to form, uh, he, you know, get his uh, drug issues under under control. And uh, he formed a new band featuring himself, his high school buddy, Matt Webb, Ian Castleman, who you just mentioned. The band would find him through a newspaper ad. And then Ian Castleman's roommate and friend of the show, because he liked a bunch of our posts this week, <laughs> Mike Ailey, the bass man, uh, including a post. I think, didn't he like the post that my brother had where he kind of trashed where he had a stretch? Oh, he just kind of gave that 100% kind of emoji, like, kind of like laughing at it. <laughs> I didn't see what he actually 
actually did. I saw that he liked some of our posts, and I was like, all right. And then my brother sent me a text. He's like, I'm so embarrassed. Oh my god. He was mortified. So he has promised me, and if Mike Ailey or anybody else from the band is watching and you read my brother's comments on Mariana's Trench, uh, he has promised uh, me to go at them after this episode with a more open mind. And uh, I told him he won't regret it because I really enjoyed myself this week. So, Mike Ailey, thank you for the support this week. And thank you for humbling my brother for his thoughts on your band. Um, I mean, well, we talked about this. uh, We were texting back and forth all week about it. Like, this is why people need to stop being so shitty on message boards and YouTube comments. It's just, you know, why do you waste so much energy being negative and fighting things? Like... It's, you know, it's, it's like something so simple, like, you know, what food can you get in a Canadian Wendy's versus an American Wendy's? And then that turns into Canada versus America. And then somehow down the rabbit hole, it'll always turn into a string of racial epithets without Jesus. fail on YouTube. It just it doesn't matter what you're debating. Somehow someone's going to throw a slur at somebody. Well, though that's what what Mike Ailey does there is, is squash you the beef. You get some yeah, other exactly. celebrities who will want to spar with people when they don't like them. When he, he, here's what this happened to me once, and I was able to do it. I was on the air back when I worked in Perry Sound, and a guy called and he goes, "You know, your radio station's got a lot of problems." <laughs> and I went, "Okay, do tell." And he goes, "Let's start with this Ted Jessup guy." He just goes on and on and on and on and on and on. And I went, you realize that's who you're speaking to? He goes, I don't care. (laughs) So I went, you know, you're right. I could be more concise. Um, That's something I'm going to try to work on. I'm like, how about you listen next week and you let me know. I'm going to make a conscious effort to, to, you know, not, not be as bloated on the air. What do you think? And immediately the guy backtracked. He was like, well, you know, what do I know? I'm not a radio professional. I'm just uh, some guy who listens in his shed. And, uh, and, and then the guy would call me every week and tell me, hey, it's your biggest critic, but also your biggest fan. And he was a nice guy about it, you know? So right there, you take it out of me, you turn him into a friend. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I've had stuff like that blow up in my face. Like uh, when the Raptors won the uh, championship, Yeah, I post, I did some like obnoxious post about uh, Toronto because I, I saw some people causing some destruction. I was like, look at this. What kind of? I was being very anti, not anti the Raptors, anti the city of Toronto because okay. you know, being from Hamilton, we always have an we ongoing got a little rivalry. Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it's like, look at this fucking city. They can't even celebrate with class. They're being a bunch of dickheads and da da da. And then uh, that really attractive girl we went to college with ashley thomas is like i was down there it was completely safe like i think it might have been like one thing i was like oh what do i know i wasn't there i completely pushed out (laughs) so yeah and then after that i've like since then i've really tried to make a conscious effort about not doing that it's just because you just look like a you know someone who's just miserable and just can't enjoy life for the record though are you talking about when the raptors won or during the parade where there was that shooting no, no, when we won. Okay, because I know a guy who was at the parade during the shooting, close to the shooting, and he said he run for, ran for his life and lost his shoe. Oh, really? Yeah. It, 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 they didn't feel all that safe. They, they ran for yeah. it. It was the same. Yeah, this was in the initial winning kind of whatever. Yeah. Jubilation. Yeah, okay, cool. Just, just, just check it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. 
Well, this new band, Mariana's Trench, that early incarnation where I talked over about the members, uh, they released an EP in 2002 on Chad Kroger's label, 604 Records. And say what you will about Chad Kroger, but Mariana's Trench has always had a good re- uh, rapport with him and this record label. They've been very, uh, to quote the, to pardon a pun, they've been very good to them. Good to you. <laughs> it worked better in my head. Uh, all eight tracks on this album would eventually be re-recorded in one way or another throughout their careers. Uh, but this release is a good look into what lay ahead for the band and what I like to call their more pop than punk, pop punk sound, at least in the yeah. early goings. Uh, plus, I really like the song Feeling Small, which uh, only got released as a B-side promotional iTunes single in 2009. Feeling Small was the one I really liked from that one. Let's hear it. It would take another four years before Mariana's Trench got to record another record. Uh, this includes touring across Canada, uh, meeting one Brian Last at a filthy McNasty's, and uh, paying their dues <laughs> as musicians. Uh, uh, they, they actually, Josh Ramsey got some studio work during this time. He performed backup, backup vocals on Harley, Holly, not Harley, Holly McNarland's 2002 song, Beautiful Blue. So already he was pretty in demand as a session performer. The 2006 release, Fix Me, was produced by former Matthew Goodband and 5440 guitar player David Genn. And it was engineered and mixed by Mike Frazier, whose credits include six ACDC albums, the Load and Reload albums by Metallica, and we talked about Little Sound Studios earlier and a couple of the big Aerosmith albums uh, that were recorded there. He worked on Pump and Permanent Vacation. So they had some pretty good rock superstars uh, backing them on this album. Fix Me reached gold status on the Canadian charts, and the singles did pretty well, too. You had Say Anything, which was the highest-selling single off the album, reaching number three. Decided to break it, which made it to number 14 and was featured on an episode of Degrassi The Next Generation. And you had Shake Tramp which was arguably the most successful single, uh, even though it would only reach number 65 of the Canadian singles charts. Uh, it topped the only chart that matters, the Much Music Video Countdown. And it also won SoCan's number one song award and would secure the band its first Juno nomination for best video, uh, only to see it lose to one of the bands that we've covered on this show, Blue Rodeo, and their video for Come On. And Josh Ramsey said uh, it wasted two months of dance lessons for him because that's the video (laughs) where he's dancing around the streets. Um, And you know what? This is a good segue to give you my initial thoughts on uh, Mariana's Trench. This is pre-doing the episode and going back and listening to the stuff, okay? Yeah. So, 
We talked about big humor because you mentioned Dane Cook, um, the way he would act on stage and stuff like that. Um, I yes. guess the, the, the term big humor comes from an episode of The O.C. where uh, oh, yeah. Seth, um, uh, Seth... Seth Cohen. Seth Cohen. There's the name. Uh, so Summer's dating this, this, this guy who he's not all that funny. He's just very loud, um, doesn't turn off the energy. And yeah. does just big shocking things, like humping things is a big thing for him. Yeah. Or um, doing a little dance or pulling down his pants, you know what I mean? Yeah. Anything to, to draw no big wit. attention. Yeah, without any real wit or timing or intelligence to it. Yeah. Something just sort of seems off about him. Off how? I don't know. He's just not funny. You know what I'm talking about, right? He's big, but big isn't necessarily funny. It's cheap. So... Adam Brody's character, Seth Cohen, came up with the term big. Not funny, but big. And I guess maybe needing something to rebel against in my college years. With the height of Dane Cook, because we talked about how I had an irrational hatred for him, which is very much similar <laughs> in my, my adult life. Um, that was kind of maybe my cause. I needed something to rally against. And it was this big humor that I didn't like. So here's this guy looking like an emo guy doing a wacky dance um, on the, in this music video that's getting all this attention. Um, they're playing the very overexposed at that time pop punk sound, yeah. which was also something because we were horrible punk rock gatekeepers in uh, high school. <laughs> you know, you and me being ska guys, not even real hardcore punk guys, it's almost like, hey, they hate pop punk more than they hate ska. Let's jump on this bandwagon. <laughs> you know what I mean? Let's get, let's take it to these guys. Um, it kind of combined into a big cocktail of, I'm passing on this one. That was my early thoughts of Mariana's Trench. Now, yeah. me listening to Mariana's Trench now, um, this album, Fix Me, I thought it had a lot of merit to it. You can see a lot of the... Um, a lot of the talent Josh Ramsey has as a pop writer uh, in a lot of the breakdowns oh, yeah. and stuff like that. Uh, I wrote some of the tracks for me that I really liked were uh, Vertigo and Alive Again. I really yeah. liked those two. Um, I got a little bored with it. And also it kind of felt like <sighs> it wasn't for me. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. It was like the soundtrack for a life I didn't live. Basically, I didn't really connect with it like I would their later releases. Uh, what were your thoughts on when I first put it on? Um, I was like, I remember like putting it on years ago, and I just mm. enjoyed it. I was like, oh. but also it was you know I was in college, I was getting more open and accepting of things, and okay. uh, so I was like, I was kind of softening on pop punk, and I was actually that was when I was going back and started to listen to more Good Charlotte and. Like, I still, you know, simple plan, plan I'll pass for days. No go for them. But, like, I was being more like, uh, my chemical romance actually isn't that bad. And, you know, and uh, bands like that. So, I, I, it was the right time because I was getting more accepting with this stuff. And yeah, I, you, I enjoyed you, it. You dropped your snooty ways a lot earlier than I did. Yeah. <laughs> I was still snooty. Because the pop punk area was really overexposed. And yeah. I thought about this because you mentioned Simple Plan. Um what a lot of bands from that time period that Marianas Trench came out did, and Marianas Trench probably did it best, 
was they yeah. came into the scene as a pop punk band, but eventually would drop the punk because yeah. I don't know if they ever really wanted to be a punk band. Um, I think they took a look at Josh Ramsey, this skinny, nerdy guy. Um, and they were like, how do we how do we promote this guy? As a pop star. Because you think back yeah. in the 80s, and a lot of the stuff they released later is very 80s influenced. How many yeah. major 80s pop stars were there that looked like a nerd other than Rick Astley? He's the only yeah. one I can think of. Like, you could say Elton John. Elton John was a rock star, though. Like, he played he's some also pop, just but very, he's a rock like, star. You know, flamboyant and... You know, it's yeah. his thing. Like, he, his, was he, he was like, able to cultivate an image for himself yeah. that went beyond the music. I think that they took a look at this pop star and some of these other guys like, you know, you know, Hadley, they were on Canadian Idol. Well, Jacob Hogarth was on Canadian Idol. Um, yeah. Simple plan. They were into skateboarding and shit like that. Not so much. But another good example in the States is Panic at the Disco and Brandon yeah. Urie. And they would take some of these guys and go, well, we can't market you as a solo artist. We can't really market your band as a pop band if we market you as a pop punk band. Because you got a little bit of an edge to you. Yeah. We have an audience to sell you to, even though we have half of this audience, that punk part is going to immediately write you off. That's not really our concern right now. We can get you in with the young people that way. I think it was a big marketing ploy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to my initial reactions, I just liked, well, first of all, the the use of harmonizing and really incorporating the whole band I love was that. great. Like, I, I love that on Shake Tramp, and they've only done it better since. Like they've gotten better at it. Uh, but then, like I really liked Alibis, Low, Vertigo, um, in September were ones I really liked that that, that stuck out for me. But it, it just shows that you know you can take something in a pop punk package and kind yeah. of push the envelope a little bit. Like you know when you look at the biggest pop punk bands, you know, Newfound Glory, uh, you know, uh, American Hi-Fi. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, I, I'm hesitant to put My Chemical Romance in there because they are a little bit different. They but, were more, no, but they, they've got more in common, I think, yeah. with Mariana's Trench than yeah. a, um, because that's the other thing I want to get into. I'm going to give you a band that I know you're a big fan of in just a second here. When you look at uh, My Chemical Romance or Panic at the Disco, the one thing they have in common with Mary and Strange, they're incredibly theatrical. Yeah. And they look, they're, you know, like it's like one of the cool things, even though I wasn't a big fan of Mary, uh, My Chemical Rom- Romance's uh, music at the time, their music videos yeah, were oh, always yeah. awesome. Yeah. I, I, you know, and now I look back at it, I'm like, oh, this is pretty good. Um, but at the time I was, I was a bit of a snoot. Um, yeah, they looked at things very theatrically and a band that I think my, uh, Marianne's Trench reminds me of that you're into that were never huge, but, uh, they remind me of them is, uh, uh, say anything. Oh yeah. Yeah. You see that? Um, I mean the lyrical content is night and day, very different, but yeah, I, 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 I know what you mean. Yeah. So it's almost a genre all to itself. It's like they should like almost like art pop kind of thing. Is the, the, I don't know the, if that is. A, I think that is a genre. Art but, pop uh, is a genre, but art pop is like it goes back to almost like the '60s, where you would hear five minutes of just distortion, and that's yeah. the, that's the song. 
But uh, no, the last thing I'll say about the first album is it just really laid a blueprint about how, you know, most people are afraid to go beyond the song, if that makes sense. And Josh Ramsey's vocals, you know, in a standard pop punk band, no one's going to really let their vocals wail, you know, like in a Queen song, for example. Yeah. uh, Where like Freddie Mercury can hit those high notes. Josh Ramsey, I think, has a complete like five octave vocal range. Like he is so talented. He can sing. That and was another so, thing I really noticed. He can hold those notes forever. Yeah. Oh my God, can he sing? And so it's, you know, that's what kind of sets them apart from a lot of those bands that I was mentioning. Because, you know, I mean, what's the face? Uh, the Joel Madden's a fine singer for what they are, but he's kind of confined. Um, uh, what's his face? The My Chemical Romance guy. Gerald... Way, Gerard Way. Gerard, Gerard Way, Gerard Way. Like, he's a decent singer for what they are. But again, like, he got better. But again, they're still pretty confined. Whereas, like, you know, you take that glass ceiling and Ramsey just punches right through oh, yeah. it. And it's, it's served them. Because as they've gotten more theatrical as the albums go on, that voice serves that, you know, growing sound, yeah. which I love. Absolutely. So there's just a lovely foundation there to work with. And, you know, they were, they sound wise, they were in this little box. And they, you could tell they, they weren't going to stick with that for a while. Yeah. Um, and that was definitely a good idea was to kind of uh, break out of that shell because uh, in 2009, they would, would they ever with their release of Masterpiece Theater, uh, they pulled out an all-star team of producers for this one. Ramsey oversaw things. This was his pr- first production credit for Mariana's Trench, and he'd end up being the sole producer for all of their subsequent uh, releases. But they had a team on this one. So you had Dave Gann, who they just worked with from Matthew Good Band. You had Dave Rave Ogilvie, who I talked with Daniel about during the Soul, uh, Serial Joe episode. He produced Face Down. Um, and uh, also listed as producers were Trouble Chargers' Greg Norrie, and Rain Maida from Our Lady Peace. Hmm. So this is kind of the who's who of yeah. Canadian uh, rock and roll. Much music really got behind the release of Masterpiece Theater. They actually previewed it on its website before its release. So do you remember when we were like in the seventh and eighth grade, if you went out and bought a CD? How many songs did you hear before you bought that? And sometimes Maybe you have to make up an excuse. Yeah, you, it was always more than one. I don't know why we lived with so many people because it wasn't just our friends. It was just people who were nosy. Um, Why we lived with all these people who who you have to justify everything you do in your life to them. But that became a thing. And then we'd do it to each other. We were just as bad. Oh, yeah. Um, But like buying an album sight unseen wasn't a big thing. So much music was like, hey, if you want to make sure you like what you're getting into you can come into our site and you can check out masterpiece theater before uh they put it out in stores and this strategy worked uh masterpiece theater would reach number four in the canadian charts and get double platinum certification uh it was a hit machine it's produced five singles you had uh cross my heart which came out first it topped the much music countdown and reached number 15 on the canadian hot 100 charts i gotta ask you about that song
um, in your yeah. post yesterday. Because I looked at the post when you were like, uh, well, go back to 1999 with Lady Gaga. You mentioned... In 2009. 2009, that's it. Um, you said when Silly landed the miracle on the Hudson. Did you mean Sully or are you calling Sully Sullenberg Silly? Damn it, my phone must have autocorrected. <laughs> I didn't notice. I'll have to go back and edit that. I'll leave it, it's funny. <laughs> He's got his Silly. Have you ever seen the movie? Sully, yeah. What'd you think? It's, it's fine. I, I, you know what? I didn't like it. Now, the reason like I it. didn't like it was because I think Clint Eastwood didn't have enough material. So he kept having to play the same scene over and yeah. over again and find ways back into it. And then there was a stupid scene at the end where all the survivors meet up in an airplane hangar and the real Sully walks out. He's like, this is your captain speaking. I was like, I'm done with you, Sully. <laughs> you are silly. <laughs> you're a hero, but you're silly. The, um, the, if, when I watched it, I think the only character, like, I, I found myself not even caring about Sully. <laughs> <laughs> I, like, I was like, because they kept playing these airplane scenes over, and I'm like, oh, I hope Josh Hutchinson makes it. Was he in the movie? Like, yeah, he played, uh, it was him and this other guy, like, was his cousin and their uncle or something. Oh, the, the guy's going golfing? Yeah. Yeah, Sam Huntington. Or, sorry, I yeah, I'm thinking him. of the, yeah, Sam Huntington, that was it. Not oh, Josh Hutcherson. Oh, it wasn't Josh Hutcherson. Oh, okay. No, the, right. that's the guy from, um... Detroit Rock City. Well, Sam Huntington, Josh Hutcherson's the guy from the... The, the terrible. Games. Yeah, those, those yeah. movies. They... But he was in that good one, uh, with Julianne Moore. Kids oh, are all right. Kids are all right. Yeah, that's a yeah. great movie. Yeah, yeah. So he's got some good ones under his belt. Yeah. Um, okay. Enough about Sully Sullenberg. <laughs> uh, all to myself came out next. That made it to eleven on the Hot 100. Ooh. Then he had Beside You, which was another number one hit on Much Music. When it gets too much, I'll be right beside you. I'll be it got to number 27 on the Hot 100. Celebrity status made it to number 24. And Good To You, which I have definitely played at more than one wedding for a couple's first dance. Uh, that, uh, ooh, that was a good one. It made it to number 38. Uh, that featured vocals from Kate Vogel. was actually an American singer uh, who had a minor hit with a cover of Leonard Cohen's uh, Hallelujah, but everyone covers that song. You, yeah. want a, you want a real showcase of her talent here. She sounds great here. And yeah. I'm a little bit surprised that uh, Ramsey didn't pull out more duets uh, throughout uh, throughout their career. I'm, You know, I, I bet when Marianne's Trench either goes on a hiatus or he just wants to do something differently, I could see him doing an album of purely duets, like on a solo thing. I can okay. see him doing something like that. Just because his voice can really, because uh, it's strong, but it also has a bit of a delicateness to it where it could it could play really nicely with female voices or male oh. voices. 
I think it's flexible. It can work with a lot yeah. of different in a, in a lot of different ways. Yeah. Okay. The promotion for this album was very heavy. They headlined a tour that fall that also featured Carly Rae Jepsen. We'll get to her again in a little bit. Yeah. The New Cities and the Mission District. And they also took part in the University of British Columbia's Lip Dub, which featured more than 1,000 students lip syncing to celebrity status. Lip dubs were a big thing. The Office did a lip dub. And they were just a simple thing. It was just a thing for YouTube where you get your entire office to lip sync something and do something wacky. It was like, remember the Harlem Shake was a thing? Yeah. Yeah. It was one of those YouTube things. I think this was a little bit better than the Harlem Shake, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, reviews for this album were positive across the board. So it's somewhat shocking that it didn't receive a single Juno nomination in 2010. I'm just trying to think what would uh, what were the heavy hitters that year? Oh boy, I should have written them down, Brian. <laughs> My phone's charging in the other room. I'm not gonna go look them up. That's right. Let me uh, let me pull that up here. So All it would right. have been the 2011 Junos. Uh, no, 2010. It came out in 2009. Right. Give me a hot second here. Hey, do do do. You're doing the riddit did did do. Andy Bernard. Would be a total Marianas Trench fan. You think so? Nard Dog. Oh, big time. You know, there might be a little <laughs> bit too poppy and theatrical for him, but the, the, the not theatrical. The theatrical stuff is what he'd like. This is the music yeah. theater guy. Oh, yeah. The Nard Dog, the salesman turned <laughs> boss man to love to belt out the tunes. He'd be, uh, you know, he'd be way into that. Let's see. So, artist of the year was Kanon. Group of the year was Metric. New artist of the year was Drake. New group of the year was Arkell's. And let's see, what was the album of the year? I don't care about. I don't care about recording engineer. Get out of here. Recording engineers of the world do. Album of the year was Crazy Love by Michael Bublé. Oh, that was the year that the Bublé train was out of control when it left the station. <laughs> yeah. Adult alternative album of the year was Three by Joel Plaskett. Alt- what? What's going on? Oh, yeah, whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, I think Marianne's Trench could have uh, held their own against some of those people, but... Well, I, well, I think it absolutely could have, because here you had their first really foray into being a concept album. Um, yeah. One of the things I loved about it was those Master Theater deep cuts... Um, and um, Masterpiece Theater 3, they do something very cool because we talk about um, how important the opening track is on an album and the closing track. But because this was a concept album with an overarching theme, they went back and they performed bits and pieces of all the other songs on the album in that last track, which is just like what you'd see uh, when you'd see a Broadway musical. They'd introduce the cast at the end and they'd play all the old cues from the play and they'd sing a snippet here and there. It brings the whole thing to an end. And uh, one of the things I actually have come to look forward to uh, with a Mariana's Trench release, starting with Masterpiece Theater, is how they would close the album. Yeah. Because it's really the end of the story, the end of the play. Yeah. It's it's fantastic. And it's very, for that time in music, it's very forward thinking. Like, no one, even like your bands like uh, My Chemical Romance or uh, um, the, the the American one, the, the 
uh, uh, Panic at the Disco. Thank you. They weren't doing stuff like that. No. Like, uh, like, uh, what's their face? My Chemical Romance had a concept album around the same time. The the Black Parade was a concept album, but I don't think they did anything like that. I don't know. You're more the expert on My Chemical Romance than I am. Yeah. You're more of a fan. I'm. I'm just. I don't listen to them very much. I'm gonna um, go out on I, a ledge, put my good name out there, and say they did not, <laughs> and hopefully I'm not proven wrong like an asshole. I will say that uh, Panic at the Disco did go on to do some interesting things, and while they're not quite as over the top theatrical, Fallout Boy did as well. So they would kind of go into that similar realm where they just kind of just said, eh, "Fuck this punk stuff. Let's just do whatever we want. And get crazy with it," which is really where they should have been in the first place personally that's what i think well that's the thing sometimes you need that you know safety album kind of you know and you need a safe sound to get you in the door and then you do the old bait and switch like to that's be perfectly honest when i bought because i bought the first two albums i bought masterpiece theater when it yeah. came out and i was kind of expecting a uh a second fix me where it's all going to be kind of pop punk and fun and, and i was like huh not quite what I expected, but then now with uh, that I went back and listened to it after kind of really expanding my horizons a bit more, I enjoyed it so much more than I did back 11, 12 years ago. Yeah, time will do that to you. Yeah. When you're mature and now willing to listen to something uh, more out of the box, Yeah, yeah that'll happen. And you know what? Maturity was a big theme on this episode because between this and Fix Me, it sounded like they had matured decades. Oh, yeah. Not just... As writers, oh, but as performers as well. Um, the harmonizing all over the place album on this it, it is great. It kills. And I was I was so surprised by how much I enjoyed it. Because I do remember you had it. And yeah. I was kind of thinking, you know, because some of the singles, like, like the, these are good singles, but they're yeah. not like my favorite Mariana's Trench singles. So yeah. I thought I wasn't, when I looked at where the landscape was going, I thought, okay, maybe during Ever After is when I'm going to finally hit my stride with them. But shit, it was here and it's awesome. Uh, I wrote for some of my deep cuts because I include them now because I know if I don't, can't keep pace with O'Brien last. Uh, Acadia, <laughs> Sing yeah. Sing, and Perfect were among my favorites. Yeah, I was going to say Acadia. I love that one. Yeah. Now, Masterpiece Theater would get a release in the U.S. in September of 2010. And to promote it, Mariana's Trench played their first ever American show at the Bowery Electric in Manhattan. And then further their exposure stateside as the opening act to Simple Plan on their U.S. tour that year. And they'd also perform five free shows during the Vancouver Olympics. Kind of helps when the world comes to your backyard, doesn't it? Yeah. They would also release a director's cut of Masterpiece Theater, uh, which had a whole bunch of additional tracks on it, including a cover of Billy Joel's And So It Goes. And I just kind of thought of this, you know, with all the artists that we've covered on Canada FM, covers are something that we don't really rely on in Canadian music, do we? Not really. Not that I can see. Yeah, and this is really the only notable cover. Uh, well, it's that it's funny you talk about that because when in the album that we're going to get to soon in Astoria, mm-hmm. I was hoping there would be a cover, but there was not. You what? You want the good? The Goonies are good enough. Yes, that's exactly <laughs> what I wanted. <laughs> That's exactly what I wanted. I, I had a feeling, Brian. I had a feeling. 
Well, behind the scenes, Josh Ramsey was keeping very, very, very busy at this time. He wrote a pair of songs for Faber, Faber Drive's 2009 Can't Keep a Secret album, and he also appeared in the chorus for the charity single Wave and Flag by Young Artists for Haiti. He did not get a solo, though. He was just in the chorus. Uh, I know, which baffles me now that I think about it. I'm like, he's probably the best singer out of all those people that soloed. Wouldn't have hold, held a candle to Hoxie Workman's selection. That's my favorite. <laughs> Play a little um, bit of that just so people know what we're talking about. And we'll reach us and we'll see us. <laughs> that's awesome. The Hoxley Workman. But, he, he stole the show. No one could compete with that. Yeah, but the thing is, that's probably as high as Hoxley Workman can go. And even that, he's probably like, hey, Hoxley, can you do it again? He's like, you only get one take out of me. Whereas like <sighs> Ramsey could probably go higher and longer and just do it for like 20 minutes. Now, had he closed it out with one of his big whales, aside of Bieber's really monotone held back, just like a waving flag, I, I think that it would have ended up maybe a much more dramatic yeah. note. Not so somber and boring. Yeah. Oh, but Bieber was big. Sold records to give him a he's solo a like that. He was a wiener. I don't know. I heard he's gotten better. <laughs> All right. He also saw some success as a solo artist, Josh Ramsey, that year. He co-wrote and produced a duet for him and Carly Rae Jepsen. Again, keep that name in the front of your mind. <laughs> uh, the song was called Sour Candy, and that became kind of a big hit, especially on uh, adult contemporary radio. And... Um, it was on her first major studio album, Tug of War. And that's back when she was just fresh off a of Canadian Idol and just singing happy little pop tunes. Oh, how things would change. Uh, <laughs> now, the year that would make Mariana's Trench was 2011 for more ways than one. Let's start with the release of the band's third album, Ever After, which came out on November 21st. Ramsey produced it himself and it's a concept album, which tells the story of Josh Ramsey and his fictitious adventures in Toyland. Now, Brian, yes. if you would like a very detailed play-by-play on this, according to Wikipedia, I can go get my phone and lay it out. If not, you can say hard pass and we can move on. It's your world, Squirrel. I'm just trying to get nut. How are you feeling? My phone's all the way over there. Your house is not a mansion, Ted. You can easily walk over and get it. <laughs> do you want me to give you a detailed plot? Or can we say, hey, why don't you do your own homework and listen to the album to get the plot? Oh, fine. Let's move ahead. Move ahead. Let's go. <laughs> But to really keep it as a thematic album, there are no breaks in between the songs on Ever After. As yeah. Ramsey wanted it to be viewed as an hour-long, continuous piece of music. And for a theme album, this damn thing sold like gangbusters today. More than 160,000 units sold. Good enough for double platinum status, reaching number eight on the Canadian charts. And number five on the U.S. Heat Seeker charts. But we know about the Heat Seeker charts. Yeah, and we know that it's just basically Billboard magazine telling Americans, hey, pay attention to this album. Whether they do or not is, is out yeah. of their control. Yeah. But it got on the radar. Now, even though Ramsey intended Ever After to be viewed as one continuous story, the band had to make money. So five singles were selected from the crop, uh, but the music videos from these singles basically tell the same story that he was telling on the album. So if you watch them back to back to back to back to back, you get the full Josh Ramsey and Toyland hmm. idea. 
Yeah. Have you ever done that? Like, I've watched their music videos, and that was another thing I wanted to say, mm-hmm. is that, I mean, the, whether it's a more serious song or a lighthearted song, like a stutter, their, their music videos always have fun. They're like the Foo Fighters, where everything is very, you know, a lot of props, a lot of sets, a lot going on. It's not, yeah. it's never just a boring, like, hey, let's play in an alley, like a bunch of plugs. It's like, no, we got to have fun with this. Just like, we're putting our money to good use and we're, we're doing what these videos are supposed to do. It's to like keep people engaged. Like if, if I wanted to watch a video of someone just playing in an alley, it's like, I'll just listen to the song. It doesn't add anything. Whereas like these things add an extra element to it. And when you reach this point, basically in music video history, you couldn't afford to do that anymore. Just put yeah. in a video of you playing in the alley. People, we had YouTube. YouTube was a thing. Now I know at that period, I'm much more likely, excuse me, to watch a band performing the song live somewhere on YouTube than I am to watch the music video for it. Oh, I'm the it's opposite. Kind of I'm all about the music yeah, yeah. videos. Yeah. Like, do you go back uh, and watch old stuff, or do you still keep up with new music videos? Um, it depends. Like, so when I was editing the little intro for the, the Instagram and when I was, you know, just sometimes I'll just go down to Mariana's trench rabbit hole once every few yeah. years, even before we did this episode, cause I always liked their video. So I would yeah. just kind of like watch them. And, uh, sometimes if there's something more modern where it says you might like this, I'll watch it. And then if it stinks, I, you know, I'll stop it. But, uh, I'm not out there on like the hot 100s. Like, uh, what's going on? Do they have a video? Who's this? No, I just okay. can't be bothered. Okay. <laughs> well, now the videos in question that make up that story, we're haven't had enough. That kicked it, the whole thing off. That peaked at number nine. Uh, Fallout, which reached number 11 on the Hot AC charts, and this is a favorite of mine. Uh, usually when I was in Perry Sound on a Friday, we're winding down work. I, of course, had to stay two hours later, but sometimes my buddy Zane would stay late and he'd break up the acoustic guitar. And believe it or not, one of the songs we'd always sing was Fallout. Oh. And uh, he'd play it and I'd do my best to sing it. <laughs> uh, not nearly as good a singer. Uh, I, I'm hardly a passable singer. Josh Ramsey is like a 10 on the singing scales. But yeah. I did my best and it was fun. Uh, Desperate Measures got to nine on the hot AC. Kiss me just once. Uh, you had Buy Now, which peaked at 11, uh, excuse me, number 14 on the Canadian Hot AC. And another story about this. I should know you as well. A shout out to a band from Caledonia, Ontario. When I worked there, there was this band from the high school there. They were called Raven's Fall. And they, they gave us their demo. They asked if they could come on our show to perform. And what was cool about them was they put on a different set list no matter the audience. So if it was playing for a bunch of kids, it played darker, harder stuff. But if it was for like families, they'd have their family-friendly, happy stuff that they'd play. Right. And when they came on the show, um, 
they actually brought this girl with them who wasn't like a part of the band, but she was just going to sing by now by Marianas Trench with them. Holy shit. She knocked my socks off. She was so good. You don't remember her name? Killed it. I don't remember her name, unfortunately. I think she was in the band briefly and then she left because she wasn't a part of them later. But they did by now and it was outstanding. So shout out to them. I don't know where they are now, but they were great. I liked working with those guys. Um, (laughs) And then my very favorite Marianne's Trench song, which when I was cleaning the kitchen today, I was clapping my hands and I was singing and I was dancing and I was wailing. Stutter, which got to number 13. For me, even before we had this Mariana's Trench renaissance where we went back through everything and listened to it, that has been one of my favorite songs since the first time I heard it. It's so good. You know, Uh, I told you last Saturday my mom had some health issues. Yeah. uh, And she was in the hospital for a few days. She's home. She's fine. Good. Um, The Sunday... Like I still didn't know much was go- what was going on, so I called my dad and I was like, "Should I come? Like, can I visit? What's going on?" They're like, "They're still doing tests," and so I was kind of in a very cloudy, uncertain mood. And my dad's like, "You know, still go to baseball practice." And so I was going to coach my team, and I put on stutter. And even though I was in such a funk, I immediately I'm like dancing in my car on the way to the park. So it <laughs> definitely put me, it definitely put me in a better mood because it's so upbeat. It's I, I put so it akin. I put it akin to "Walking on Sunshine" by Katrina and the Waves. Oh, it's yeah. just one of those songs you can't possibly be in a bad mood when yeah. you hear it. You could play it at a funeral, and everyone <laughs> would get up out of their seats and jitterbug. You yeah. know what I mean? <laughs> it's such a great tune, and it's such a great album. This is yeah. my favorite Marianas Trench album, bar none. Um, big catchy choruses, pop music at its finest. And it feels like a play, yeah. better than any of the other albums. The story is very good with that, but this is this is the best one. If you're gonna buy one Mariana's Trench album, get Ever After. I liked it a lot. I still okay. like I like a story better, but I like okay, it a lot. Okay, but you know what? That is a fair argument because the story we're about to get into a story uh, that's really really good. But uh, yeah, in terms of songs that stuck out to me, like I loved uh, the B team. I loved the end closing track, the No Place Like Home. Obviously, Stutter, Fallout, Truth or Dare was another one I really liked. Yeah, a lot I like that one too. Yeah, and uh, obviously the the Poppy haven't had enough was so good. You know, for this one, Brian, they were so proud of it. They went international with it. Um, they did big tours of Australia to promote it. The Philippines. A big tour of the U.S. with Simple Plan again. And uh, they were part of the Journey's Backyard Barbecue Tour, which saw them perform at shopping malls across the U.S. I, I don't know what it is. I think it's because I look... Maybe I got lost in the story when I was listening to Ever After, but I look at it as being something that needs to be seen in like an auditorium or yeah. a big stadium and not something in the middle of the day in between, you know, popping into Hot Topic. I was about to make a Hot Topic joke. <laughs> well, Journeys is usually right next to Hot Topic at the yeah. moment, so one plays into the other. Yeah, yeah, you get some jackass who's got his Wetzel's pretzels or his Cinnabon's like, hey, what's this? Who are these guys? <laughs> As it's like, you know, you got these th- four fit guys that bouncing around on stage. You get some fat schlub who's got like icing dribbling down his 
tank top that doesn't fit. Some old man walks up to the bouncer who's doing security. Those guys selling acid tablets. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Anyway, that's a throwback, that one. <laughs> you gotta listen to all the shows to get that joke. Walmart even got in on the Marianne Stretch hype train by selling an Ever After fan pack that included the CD and a T-shirt. You know, I used to always love seeing those in stores mm. because you wouldn't get to see what the shirt looked like. Usually the shirts were really, really shitty. But I was like, oh, but you got a shirt. I want the shirt. Because I was such a band shirt aficionado back then. And uh, Aficionado. Aficionado. There's no you. We've been through this before, and I'm not going to get into it again. Uh, They'd also performed the halftime show for the 100th Grey Cup. In fact, as this was going on, you and me were just down the street from this performance. uh, But we were at Sound Academy watching Gasoline Anthem while this was going on. Um that yeah. show also featured Justin Bieber, Carly Rae Jepsen, and Gordon Lightfoot. One of these things is not like the other. I was about to say. <laughs> you got all these young, hip kids, and you're like, hey, who's the old timer? Who's <laughs> old grandma? He ain't what she used to be. What was funny, though, is because it's such a football crowd, a lot of people were really pissed off that it was so pop. So yeah. they... Um, What's it called? They booed the shit out of Justin Bieber. And when Lightfoot started up, they made sure to cheer the hell out of him. So they knew they wanted the old rock and not the new pop. So Yeah, but Gordon Lightfoot's barely rock. It's like some hippie, you know, sitting in a 60s cafe kind of music. Ah, he's got some good tunes, though. I think he did the, uh, the Highway Trilogy. I didn't say he trilogy. wasn't good, but I just said it's like he's hardly rock. Yeah, I wouldn't call him as rock. He's more folk. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, but still, they wanted they wanted to hear from Gordy Lightfoot. Yeah, it's because your your average CFL fan is this like ham sandwich who's like so stuck in like the the yesteryear. Like my friend who shall not be named is just like, yeah, there hasn't been anything good made since 1998. Everything else can suck it. You talk about people happy being miserable. <laughs> yeah, that's when they're the most happy is when they can just bitch about it. Well, I told you that story about uh, it was the Hall of Fame weekend where uh, the Jays, they were playing the crappy Orioles and the Jays sucked themselves. So it was a Friday night and they, they got some of the best players of the 92 and 93 team to reunite. And they had a whole thing where they were doing, you know, Carter was doing signings on the 500 level. Devo was in the middle and Robbie was in the the main concourse and you had to get there early and then it was literally it was no rhyme or reason it was like we're gonna sign x amount of people get up there if you can and so my buddy just sprints to the 500 and gets joe's autograph i'm like this is back when i was much heavier and i'm like i'm not yeah. running for shit and so anyway, autographs? I got no autograph, but uh, <laughs> so anyway, I'm sitting there. I got some friggin' old codger yelling at me in my right ear. I got my buddy rambling in my other ear. And like the guys is like, hey, look at this stadium. It's they got the best team. The guy has two World Series. He can't even fill the thing. And he's turning into Randy Quaid in Major League Two. He's like, ah, just sell the team. Bulldoze the field. And I'm just like, I'm like about to explode. But yeah, I'd like to think that every fan of Major League Baseball and all of sports has the old curmudgeons, but I think a, most Jays fans will get that. You just sit beside the wrong guy at a Jays game. 
And you've got this someone nattering in your ear the entire time, especially when they weren't winning. Which yeah. I don't know. They were up when we started the podcast. Hopefully, they're still winning, but they're going through some tough times right now. So did they win last night? I didn't. When no, I stopped... they lost last night. Oh God! They to were the winning. Tigers. They were winning when I left. Yeah, because they couldn't score any runs. And then Charlie Montonio thought, okay, I'm going to let Brevik Valera bunt with two strikes. And he still bunted, and they got the guy out at third. And then, uh, what's it called? Because they have the stupid rule where you got to start a runner at second base. <sighs> the extra innings. Uh, the guy, Richard, struck out the first two guys he faced. So I thought, hey, things are going well. And then base it, base it, base it. Tigers kept getting base hits, getting a guy to second, another base hit. They knock him home, and we lost. So oh, I do not want to talk about sports. Right <laughs> I am. You know what was makes me happy is Mariana's Trenches Ever Ever After album. Let's just yeah. keep talking about that. Actually, I don't want to talk about it that anymore. I want to switch gears. Uh, <laughs> talk about the other big thing that happened to Josh Ramsey in 2011. So you hold ready on. to do that? Sorry, hold on one second. Okay. Yeah. How was the uh, Grammy situation? Did they get snubbed again? Oh, the Junos. Well, er, I, you know what? I haven't talked about the Junos. They did not get snubbed. The Junos were weird because they're still weird, but they did not get snubbed. Oh, good. Okay? But we will get to the Junos in just a second. Okay. So, what I do, wanted to talk about was what think. happened to Josh Ramsey in 2011. He was recruited by his good friend and frequent collaborator, Carly Rae Jepsen to popify a folk song that she had written about seeing a cute guy who looked good and, oh, she just had the urge to go over to him and ask him out. That was basically the center of the song, and it was a pop tune. Well, pop it up, Ramsey did. <laughs> and Call Me Maybe would become an international smash and would help the former Canadian Idol contestant on a pedestal as one of the highest-performing pop artists in the world. In fact, she came to Thunder Bay a couple years ago, and I got free tickets to go see her from work. So me and my wife, we, we go to the show, and we pull up, and we see an army of maybe 10, 15, 10- and 11-year-old girls run up to the front of the show. And we just pour, both looked at each other and went, Nope. Got our seat. <laughs> Drove off and didn't go in. <laughs> we just went home. I think we got drunk or something like that. Yeah, I was going to say, you should have gone. You should have just got fucking wasted in front of these got kids. Hammered. Like, hey, Junior, get out of my way. I want to sit and call me maybe at the front. And they're like, hey. like sir, you're upsetting my children. My other uh, memory of call me maybe is, and, uh, you know, Brian, you get a lot of flack amongst our friends for um, everything. Being hard on me. You know, basically, and being the last mean to four me, a lot of years, the last four years, I have dramatically <laughs> reduced my, you know, my chop busting on you. I have pulled back significantly. Everyone else has ramped up and I'm still like, labeled as the group jerk because of it. The thing, too, though, that they don't realize is I get your goat just as good as you get mine. In fact, I remember when my wife first met you, uh, she was like, you know, you always made it seem that Brian was this jerk to you all the time. Now they've seen the two of you together. You're just a bigger jerk to him as he is to you. <laughs> yeah, it's, and it's, it's the thing. It's like that person who pushes the other person's buttons, but then the other person gives the bigger reaction, and so they're the one who gets noticed. No one notices the initial 
cunt face pushing the buttons originally. They're the ones that skate under the radar. Look like, oh, look at me. I'm innocent. I'm the victim. Look at big old bully Brian, the 6'8 giant, losing his shit over there. <laughs> the fact that you just called me cunt face. <laughs> You're not innocent. Well, one of my favorite things to do to get you push your buttons was uh, I, I used to like to sit down when we'd be at a bar or a gathering or somewhere, and I'd start telling a story, but usually I'd take, like, the plot of the movie and make it my story. <laughs> yeah. And people used to like it. You used to hate it. But I would start. I started doing it with song lyrics, and I remember going to Call Me Maybe was one of my favorite ones to do. I remember being like, Brian, I tell you, I was out the other day, and I threw a wish in the well. Don't ask me what it was, because I'll never tell. Uh, <laughs> and I would go through the song, and you would get so mad. And, uh, uh, pardon me? You do that to me? I do it to Brynn, too. I do it to Brynn all the time. <laughs> she hates it, but I just, it's one of my favorite ways to push buttons. Uh, but Call Me Maybe was one of my go-tos for that. So, thank you, Josh Ramsey and Carly Rae Jepsen for <laughs> giving me hours of entertainment. Yeah, taking a couple years off my life from just, like, giving me high blood pressure and rage. <laughs> anyway <laughs> Hey, you asked about the Junos We'll talk about I the did. Junos Okay, now Since weird is the middle name of the Junos um, Ever after Doled up nominations over the course Of both the 2012 and 2013 shows Because the Junos can't just keep things simple They're just stupid <laughs> In 2012 They'd be nominated for best pop album And they'd lose to Headley I'm going on a record right now Marianas Trench is way better than Hadley. There is no world that exists that Hadley is better than Marianas Trench. Plus, they're not douchebags who are getting me tooed like Hadley is. So. <laughs> I'll put it out there. Marianas Trench way better than Hadley. All right, where was I? I will see what if that irritates any of your, any of your, any of your friends. Like, uh, my, apparently, I ranted on the Rankin family, which I didn't mean to. I think it was more just like you know when we get an album or something that we both really like and we we get behind it, we get yeah. really salty at the at the Junos for their picks, and I think we might have taken some swipes at the at the Rankin family and just East Coast music in general. I think we already well, we, apologized. We, we paid all that tribute to Sloan. I much love Sloan, and they're from the East Coast. And yeah, we'll but they're do not a great big C episode and they're not East Coast about music, music, quote unquote. They're just rock music. All right, well we'll do a, we'll do a great big C one next season. I think we already apologized in one of those episodes, but let me take the time now and say sorry to any East Coasters we might have offended. You think you're better than us with your you know fresh air, plentiful ocean views, being you know the the crown jewel of everyone across the country. Ever, I haven't met anyone who said anything bad about East Coasters. If and you're you're probably better uh, standard of living in terms of like where you put your family yeah. values, and yeah, yeah I'm just well, let's talk about let's talk about damn kitchens. I spent hours cleaning my kitchen today, and you're in there having a fucking party. All right? Enjoy your damn kitchens. We love the East Coast. I know. That's why it's like... Uh, <laughs> it's like in basketball where he's like, yeah, you're with your beautiful women, your celebrity friends, and your Victoria still said playmate of the year. 
Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> oh, believe me, when I was uh, during the pandemic, there's a couple times where I was kind of down and I was I thought about moving to the East Coast. I'm like, I can get a transfer to CRA. See, it was the reverse for me. I was thinking about moving to the West Coast, but this was when like winter wouldn't end. Yeah. And then I would see clips of people in BC wearing shorts and going to the beach. And I'm sitting there with snow up to my waist. Yeah, but I mean, I- like, why don't I just move out there? It's so simple. Yeah, do you have, like, millions of dollars to, to be able to live? <laughs> it's so expensive. That's <sighs> true. You pay for the good life. You pay yeah. for the good life. Anyway, let's go on to 2013, because they wouldn't lose to fucking Headley again. Uh, they would lose Album of the Year to Carly Rae Jepsen, but that's kind of a win, because she's, like, an she's unofficial... Like, yeah, a family. Yeah. Um, how do I put this? She's not a member of Mariana's Trench. Um, she's she's kind of like inner what Mike Tyson was. Mike Tyson was to DX back in the day in Attitude Era. He wasn't a <laughs> member of DX, but he helped them win some matches, and then he turned on Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania. 14. Oh my god! Anyway, you move along, yeah. you nerd. <laughs> kind of like that. Um, fan Choice Award. They lose to Bieber, but it was Bieber Bieber Fever that year. Far yeah. Few things can beat him. Uh, actually, Josh Ramsey got a nomination for producer of the year for both his work on Ever After and for Call Me Maybe, but he loses that to James Shaw, who worked on a Metrics album that year. Uh. But they would not leave the Junos empty handed, Brian, nor would they leave with some silly award like album cover art of the year. <laughs> no, no, no. They would be named Group of the Year. And rightly deserved. So that was big. And that big Juno win uh, got them a new record deal with Cherry Tree and Interscope Records, which, records, which would handle the international and U.S. release of the future albums. And they would also stick with uh, 604 albums there for the Canadian release. So they oh, stayed wow. true to Kroger's label. Um, and to celebrate... They released an EP called Face the Music, which is basically just a sampler of tunes for new fans. But in 2015, they'd hit the EP route again um, with something old, something new. And the big single off of that was Pop 101, featuring rapper Anime Vice. It's a fun little song that basically just deconstructs the writing, production, and marketing of your typical pop ditty. And there is Easter eggs galore. On Pop 101. Thought you'd have something to say about Pop 101. Uh, Nothing? No. It's, <laughs> it's a good song. I've heard it. It's a great song. It's a lot of fun, that one. I just don't remember all the lyrics. That's why I'm like, I'm trying to remember what the Easter okay. egg, Easter eggs were. But Yeah, well, he talks about like the Black Eyed Peas. And he talks about Mumford and Sons. And, oh, okay. Um, he, he breaks down the pop scene, basically, at the yeah. time. And all the cliches that go with it. Uh, that would get to number 11 on the Canadian Hot AC charts. And... Um, also on that EP was the single Here's to the Zeros. You were literally couple- reading my mind. I was about to ask what, what EP that was on. Can you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Here to the Z- Zeros is on that one. Uh, that has some reference Easter eggs on it, too, because he talks about Call Me Maybe on yeah, it. Yeah, and having to hear the little strings. And stuff, yeah. Yeah, but I like how he puts in the strings from Call Me Maybe, you know? Yeah. Uh, plus a couple of uh, re-records from the first EP were also on that one. And right. that's a good video too. That's another example where they have fun. It's uh, they were basically doing a parody of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, but it was like Ramsey's yeah. place, and he's wearing the sweater vest, and he's doing like a puppet show for children, and then the uh, and then the band is like sitting in the crowd, like they're oversized children, and I think Ian's sitting on his lap, and he's just like eh, he's being a little dink. It's funny video. Can I, can I ask you? So he's doing this Mr. Rogers parody, 
Yeah. Does he still have the emo cut? Yes. Or does he actually like model the hair to look like a children's entertainer? Well, like he, I think he still had like the blue streak in the hair or something, but he, it was combed like slick back, kind of like okay, a Mister Rogers. Okay. So it wasn't just like it wasn't like in the stutter video where he had like the he's in the navy uniform and he's got like the yeah. weird like poof up top. You know what I mean? Where it's got that little bit. It's it's yeah. like combed forward, but it's got the little gelled up poof like i'm like no one in the in the armed forces in the 40s would have that haircut well, you know he, that's the thing about him is i i remember seeing him at the junos one year and he had the almost like a pompadour and he was yeah. wearing a white suit and he looked really good and then on all these other ones it's that 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 i don't know what you call that bit of hair that hangs down but he's always got the emo cut and i'm like josh man slick it back look here look look like you're 36 like me you look way better than me yeah. All right, I look like I'm 46. He looks like he's 26. But get the, get the hair, man. You know, like, I know you got the capability of making it look slick. Well, we've talked about it this. Looks slick. Being in the music industry, it ages you down. So it allows you to kind of, even if you're older, you know, it keeps you in this perennial state of youth where you can kind of goof around and um, experiment with your looks. It's true. All right, you ready to talk about Astoria? Yes. Let's talk about Astoria. It would be released on October 23rd, 2015. And again, Mr. Ramsey would handle the production of the entire album, which was actually recorded at his at his house. So he must have a nice big house to get all these people in because there's a lot of guest uh, players on the album. Well, um, look at uh, how much money he probably made off Call Me Maybe. It's ridiculous. Call Me Maybe is going to pay his bills for the rest of his life. Oh, yeah. Because they're never going to stop playing that song. No. That's a forever hit. It's going to keep him uh, in golden underpants. When we are on our deathbeds, our children will probably come in with like music uh, from when we were growing up to make us like uh, respond to something. Call yeah. Me Maybe will probably be on that playlist. Oh yeah, they'll have the, the they'll be in some like art. Uh, sorry, they'll be in like a, a liberal arts college and they're like I'm in my music theory class or music history can you tell me about the song that's in the textbook call me maybe <laughs> when they remake Captain America Winter Soldier in a hundred years and Cap is getting that list of things he missed out on <laughs> yeah. they'll add call me maybe to that list that's how big a hit that was yeah yeah alright enough about call me maybe let's talk about Astoria it'd be another concept album Although a lot looser in theme than ever after, but still pretty, pretty thematic. Yeah. Uh, the story, along with the album's artwork, would be heavily inspired by The Goonies, which you alluded to with The Goonies Are Good Enough. Let's hear a little bit of that for Brian. There goes Cindy. There you go. Uh, as well as some other 80s fantasy movies. Um, and the, the the album's title, of course, pays tribute to the town of Astoria, Oregon, where The Goonies takes place. Also, Kindergarten Cop takes place in Astoria, Oregon. Uh. Remember? He's like, how many of you were born in Astoria? They all just stare at him. How many of you were born outside of Astoria? They all just stare at him. <laughs> the... Uh... My When I was working at Tim Horton's Children's Foundation, uh, we had a group of kids, me and my co-counselor his name is jeff but his uh camp name was winchester i don't know how he got okay. stuck with that name i don't know but as a as a unity thing we everyone had team names and so we were uh, we called ourselves the goonies and uh, the whole 
the whole week we were doing like Goonies theme chants whenever we had to do an activity. Oh, yeah? And like, we're like, never say die, blah, blah, blah. And then so, like, it brought the kids close together that whole week. And so, what we did is we had a spare cabin across the hall from us. So, we basically just like deconstructed all the bunks and we made a big fort. We called it our Goonie oh, cool. Fort. And on the, the last night before we sent them off, we set up my laptop and we all just like we let we let them stay up a bit later and we watched we showed them goonies like what the because oh, cool. none so of us knew is, what the hell we were talking yeah. about the whole week and they, they all seemed to like it you may have you better not have made the only fat kid in your group do the truffle shuffle actually I think that week we didn't have any fat kids <laughs> oh okay I was gonna say that is just cruel I think I was probably the the, the resident chunk <laughs> did you do the truffle shuffle I think I showed them what it was. But. <laughs> Probably. I can't fully remember that, but <laughs> uh, it's been a long time since I've seen that movie. I should give it a still holds up. Very good. I love Goonies. Well, Astoria would sell like gangbusters, achieving gold status in Canada and reaching number two on the album charts. More importantly, though, Astoria would chart internationally, reaching number fifty-six in Australia and number fifty-three in the U.S. Moving in a positive direction here for international attention. Yeah. Three singles would be released from this one. You had One Love. It would peak at number 14 on the Hot AC charts. It's the only one that you get. One Love. the first Marianas Trench tune to chart in the U.S. It got to number 35, so it cracked the top 40. That is what we call a modest hit. All right. Well, that's something else. <laughs> <laughs> this Means War, which I fucking love. Yeah, this Means War. I was going to say, that's song. one of my favorites. That made it to number 37 on the Canadian Hit Radio charts. And Who Do You Love would make it to number 9 on the Canadian Hot AC charts. And a little bit of a fun fact for you here, Brian. Um, this Means War shares similarities melody-wise with Life is a Highway by Tom Cochran and they also use the I think it's a marimba or a xylophone from uh, Cruel Summer by Bananarama and some of the other uh, uh, influences I picked up on this album I could hear a little Paula Abdul here and there a little Jackson 5 here and there yeah and I was the about to say Shut Up and Kiss Me it was very Jurassic 5 or it's not Jurassic 5 ja Jackson 5, Jackson 5. <laughs> But the big, the biggest delusion I got was uh, Wildfire, which was a direct rip of uh, King of Pain by the police. I can see that. And yeah. uh, if you actually, because they were, uh, obviously they were keeping the hits kind of 70s, 80s-ish. If you go back and listen to Yesterday. Uh, great that, song. That great song. But it also kind of had a bit of a Kenny Loggins kind of vibe to it. Which is perfect for this album. Yeah. Yeah, because he was the 80s soundtrack king. Yeah. Kenny Loggins. Yeah, I was talking with other Brian the other day. I said, who do you think probably had more number one hits? Kenny or Holland or not yeah, Holland Oates. I think Holland Oates crushed them. They were just Kenny was just more fortunate because all his big hits were on soundtracks. Yeah. Whereas Holland Oates did it on their own merits. Did you look it up? Did you find out who had more number one hits? Yeah. Look, we live in the 
day and age. <laughs> you can get the no, internet I, on your cell phone, I and Wikipedia exists, so any fact is at your fingertips. But they didn't—they didn't break it down by number one hits. But I, I'm judging by the research I could find. I think it was Hall and Oates. Okay, all right, and that, that makes sense too, because you know Kenny Loggins had a lot of hits. Whether they made it to number one, I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, um, this has a complete different vibe from Ever After. But I am so here for it. It's much more funky. It totally feels like it could have been from an 80s movie soundtrack. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think I wrote here, my question to you, Brian, is Josh Ramsey a pop genius? (laughs) Like, Um, seriously. Like, he knows how to write a pop song and put together these epic albums. Well, that's the thing. He grew up in music. He's I, I read somewhere he plays 14 instruments. Yeah. Um, uh, his, obviously, his mom was a music teacher, a vocal teacher, or something you said. And yeah, so vocal it, coach. Yeah, and so it's been in his DNA since he was born. And not to mention, I'm sure he probably got to be present firsthand watching some of these bands lay it down. So he probably like observed so many things. And... Because even though they started out as like a pop punk band, I think he was never overly concerned with keeping himself in a specific box. And so he that's why he knows what it takes to write a pop song. And he's just he's going to be one of those guys who like long after Marianne's trench breaks up, he's going to be one of those people who's just like his name might never get fully recognized in terms of what's what contributions he's made it's like oh do you know that song yeah do you know that song do you know that song it was all written by this guy you know he's like one of those tin pan alley yeah. diamond types that's what he's gonna be it's it's kind of funny too because we talk about what a great songwriter what a great producer he is yeah um it seems to be another thing from the pop punk realm um because i remember I, I think i've talked about todd in the shadows before an, an internet uh, mu- music critic who does a lot of one hit wonder stuff he's one of my favorites hmm. and he did one on sr 71 um the lead singer of sr 71 has written so many top 40 bangers that became huge hits like he's worked with selena gomez he's worked with jason derulo and he's just written all kinds of huge hits so and uh, the guy from fountains of wayne who just recently passed away he was like that too yeah um that thing you do is a fountains of wayne song not the wonders not the own eaters that's fountains of wayne song he wrote that song he won a contest to write like an 80s one hit wonder and he won it that's kind of what set him on his way and, and they were kind of in the pop punk sort of thing too well even so, even look at goldfinger towards the back half yeah. of the career john feldman has produced many pop albums and he's very in demand as being a, a, yeah. a producer yeah so something about that i think it's because of that reliance on pop and making hits and just the stress yeah. was on the big chorus and accessible tunes so yeah so there you go pop punk those guys did branch out more than uh, people give them credit for. Yeah. Okay, my favorite deep cuts from uh, Astoria were Burning Up, Yesterday, and Dearly Departed. Love the ukulele on that one. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, Burning Up and Yesterday were great. I also just, I loved the opening track, Astoria. I mean, it's it's several different songs in one. And uh, Burning Up, I loved the Prince vibe. Um... Obviously, we talk about This Means War. Who Do You Love was great. Um, Wildfire was great. 
That's such a good album. And, it is. Uh, it's just and top he, to bottom. It's just so I, good. I know I said Ever After was my favorite, but... Uh, it's a slim you margin. Can, you yeah, can you can really go back and forth with these two. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're, they're excellent albums. Um, now, to promote this, they took part in the Hey You Guys <laughs> tour. That's what it was called in the U.S. And where did they kick it off? In Portland, Oregon. So they went all in with the Goonies theme, uh, which is right down the road, of course, from Astoria. Uh, they also took part in a Canada-wide tour with Walk Off the Earth, who we might feature one day on Canada FM. I think they're uh, too popular for us. In the U.S.? I mean, their videos have like uh, the 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 what you call it. Oh, I forgot. Yeah, the video doing a goche and the one yeah, guitar. That's it. Yeah, See, that's... I'm just thinking about their songs on the radio, not yeah. so much the viral video. Yeah. All right. All right. And not Let only me... that, like they played on Ellen. Like when you're getting on Ellen and stuff, you know you hit it. Big. Well, but yeah, but we did Blue Rodeo a couple weeks ago, and they were on Conan and Letterman. Yeah, but I mean. The thing is, every week or every night, they have a different band, someone just passing through, and sometimes it breaks and sometimes it doesn't. But there, whereas, like, when Ellen is taking the time to, you know, talk to this one hit wonder kind of like, you know, phenomenon type thing from Canada. And also, that's another thing that pissed me off when she did it. She said, from Burlington, Canada. It's like, I'm sorry. They they all do Do I say Chicago, America, if I'm introducing something? Do I say Texas, America? No, I say Austin, Texas. You know, I Baltimore, Maryland. What at Chicago, Illinois, you fucking... I hate Ellen. Maybe I'll do it from now on. (laughs) So, Brian, the Hey You Guys tour, that kicked off in Portland, USA. (laughs) Happy? We'll do that from now on. Make a point. But, you know, they weren't limited to Portland, USA, and Canada for their touring. They would also do extensive tours of Europe with stops in France, England, Switzerland, Germany, Belgium, and the Netherlands. So they were getting the word out that Astoria was here. <sighs> Unfortunately, guess who didn't get the memo that Astoria was such a Let great me idea. take a wild guess. The Junos. Yeah, they weren't as kind to Astoria as they were to Ever After. In 2016, they would lose Group of the Year, actually to their tour mates, uh, Walk Off the Earth. And in 2017, because of course it has to last two years, uh, Astoria would lose Album of the Year to Alicia Cara. And she was yeah, kind but of that a train to popularity. Yeah. It was huge, you know, and she got to do a great time, ha- great cup halftime show. And uh, yeah, she's too big for us to do on a, uh, an yeah. episode on her. Yeah, she's, but you know, that she's, halftime show, that performance was, was great. Alicia, and Alicia Carey is a phenomenal singer, and yeah. uh, she is part of that kind of rise in Canadian pop and R and B and hip hop that hit the U S. Yeah. in the mid two thousands, and that train's still running. So, yeah, you're awesome, Alicia Carey. Be less popular, so we can do an episode on you. Um, <laughs> yes, have your career fall apart. <laughs> be living on food stamps, so we can cover you. <laughs> Marion Estrange would release the non-album single Rhythm of Your Heart in 2017, which reached number nine on the Hot AC charts. And then they went back into the studio. And on March 1st of 2019, they would release their fifth album, their most recent to date, Phantoms. And again, Josh Ramsey produced it. And again, it was presented like a concept album. Um, less like ever after in Astoria it came off less like a play 
Yeah. But the theme was there for this album. And that theme was being haunted by the ghost of former loves. And that was very present throughout this. Yeah. Um, it sold very well in Canada, again, reaching number uh, one on the album charts, I believe. Uh, I don't know. I left out a number in my script. Um, and so I guess it was a number one hit. And uh, their best charting release in the U.S. to date, it hit number seven on the independent charts in the U.S. And uh, number 38 overall. Again, cracking the top 40. Pretty damn good. It would produce four singles, but we're in the day and age of streaming. And you're probably streaming this podcast right now. So charting is totally different nowadays. And that yeah. really happened. We talked about all the chart performances, and it was only, what, two years out was Astoria? Was that... And now we're here at Phantoms, and only one song charted. I knew, yeah. I, I knew you when... Which reached number 21 of the Hot AC charts, and the rest of them didn't chart. So it just shows you how things change. But uh, keep promoting it, Spotify, because uh, I probably listen to all the tracks for this album on either Spotify or YouTube. So I want them to keep doing good. No shame <laughs> with that. No shame with that. Uh, despite mostly positive reviews, Phantoms was completely shut out from a Juno nomination. It didn't get a one. And it's a shame, too, because I thought this was another great release. Uh, might be the weakest of the four theatrical albums. But having said that, it's still really good. I think um, it was just... I think it was a different approach. I wouldn't call it the... Like, it's it's hard to... I mean, you can definitely put Ever After in a story at Heads and Tails. But, like... I. I he I'm hesitant to use the word weakest because I think with each one they're trying to say something different they're trying a different approach and all these other things and so I still enjoyed it a lot it's just one of those things I just don't think it had as many pop hits not that I'm saying Josh Ramsey's run out it's it's the uh, I think he was trying something different did you feel that it was a lot more traditional top 40 than the last couple of releases? Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, got a little bit of U2 vibes in there. Uh, a big influence I got from that album that was throughout the album was American Idiot by Green Day. I could feel a lot of that albums, especially like Jesus of Suburbia. Some of the yeah, I was actually, you know what's funny? I was about to text you the other day. I was about to say like, yeah. I'm like, hey. Fuck faces in Green Day. This is how you do a, a rock off. <laughs> <laughs> you know what though? I mean, they got the better laugh because that album but then, is just insane. But this album might but... not exist. This album might not exist if it wasn't. That's fair. No, I could see these guys being more influenced by like a Queen type over a Green Day. But maybe I'm reaching. I don't know what their influences are. But there, there was a pretty clear nods to that album, though. I don't know. Maybe that's just me that I picked. Yeah, you're on. probably right. Uh, my favorite tracks on Phantoms were Don't Miss Me, Wish You Were Here, and The Killing Kind. That is their, we're talking about their closing songs and how yeah. good they are. That's their best closer. Oh, 100%. That one was Love great. That yeah, that really ended it on a high note for me. Yeah. Um, it's just a shame that the Junos didn't uh, embrace this one like they did some of their other tracks. Yeah. I don't, I don't even know what was the what was big in the 2019 Junos. Well, it would have been 2020. Or, sorry, like or 2019. 20, or this most recent Juno Awards ceremony could have been eligible yeah. for it, 
Did, yeah. did they not have a 2020 Junos? No, they did. They, they they still did them because of, like, even with the pandemic, they did them virtually. Yeah. They did them, though. They handed out the awards. I see. So that's not an excuse. So they were there. They just didn't feel phantoms, I guess. Let's see. See, Artist of the Year with Sean Mendez. Group of the Year. Who the fuck are Loud Luxury? Oh, Loud Luxury's pretty good. Loud Luxury has had a big hit. Uh, da, da, ba, da, ba, da. Like, I can't sing it. I, you know, it, it's... it's <laughs> that's the thing with pop songs nowadays, is you can't sing along to them. But Loud Luxury's one big hit is good. I like it. Um, let's see. Fan Choice was Avril. Songwriter of the Year was Alicia Cara. Um, let's see. Album of the Year was Alicia Cara. Adult Alternative was Half Moon Run. Now, Keegan would have been happy. He loves Half Moon Run. Um, while he's drinking his juice. My juice. <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, alternative Album of the Year was Pup. They were good. I like Pup. Um, I think they're from Hamilton. I could be wrong. They might be Toronto, but... Uh, yeah, so... I, I think the, the winds were shifting from, like, that the Marianas Trench style of pop to the traditional pop again, so that's probably why they got shut out. Well, one of the good things about reviewing Marianas Trench, uh, compared to some of our, our other artists that we've reviewed, is that they're still going strong. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I can honestly tell you, I'm excited for what's to come next. Um, I'll set a date with you, Brian. Their next album... We'll do a track-by-track review of it right here on the show. Yeah, I'm down. Yeah, yeah, we'll definitely do that, even if it's a big hit in the U.S. Because I think we should do that for all the one. bands that we've covered. It, I, They are. They're, they are. And I'm excited to see, you know, is it going to have a big overarching theme? What or, influences you know, is are going to have it, on there? Is he going to go back down to, you know, t- typical pop rock and then not make these big theatrical things? Is there, Are they going to try to go for, like, a standard rock? It'll be interesting to see which way they go. And I think that that's what the exciting thing is about music. When you can get an artist like that that gets you guessing, that can get you excited for their next release, you know you're on to something big. And I can truly tell you that my like of Marianne's Trench started from a bunch of pop punk guys who protruded big humor, which I didn't care for, to <laughs> having a killer dancing song and a song I'd sing along with a friend to, but still not being a huge fan, to now actually saying that I am a Marianas Trench fan and I will actively defend their cause going forward. I think that that's big. And I really think that if you felt the way I felt before and you're not into Marianas Trench, you're doing yourself a bit of a disservice. Sit down. Give a story a listen. Give Ever After a listen. Yeah. Turn, you know, that's good entertainment for an hour. And if you still don't like it, that's fine. But I, like, I think if you're if you like pop music, attach yourself to this bandwagon. You know, I'm curious how old Brian Wilson was when he made Pet Sounds, because or when the Beach Boys made Pet Sounds, because you, this is the other thing you got to remember: Josh Ramsey is still very young, and mm. the type of music that these guys together, like with uh, with him at the helm, have orchestrated. Like you know, they have synth arrangements string arrangements that they're putting into these things just so many moving parts and the guy is so young that like normally most people don't get experimental till they're like in their 40s or something you know what i mean or like they can where they where they could really master yeah so many moving things but this guy just him and the band together just they they got it and so here's a question 
And regardless if Marianne's Trench never has that big, like, it seems like they're doing okay. Like, they're probably middle of the road. They probably have some fans in the States. I don't know how well the Hey You Guys tour did, but uh, without a doubt, Josh Ramsey is going to be the next great, like, Danny Elfman. You know, he can compose. I would love to hear him do a movie soundtrack. Would love to hear uh, that. He's gonna. Do, I, I can see him doing that. I can see him just cutting off all ties to. The, well, not cutting off ties to the band. But I can see him just like I want to take a break from the road, and I'm just gonna be in the studio solely producing. I could see him doing I'd like that. To see him, I'd like to see him write a play. I was about to say that. Yeah, that was gonna be my next thing. I could see him doing a, a full-on play if he hasn't done one already. Um. Yeah, I could see him running the the table on uh what's it called? Getting a Tony Award. Yeah. I could see him doing New York, Toronto, LA, all the big, you know, London. Absolutely. So here's a question for you. What you know that he can write a song that'll catch on with an international audience, because he did it with yeah. Tony maybe. Why have American audiences not caught on to the stuff that they put out so far? Like, why wasn't Ever After a Smash in the States like it was here? Let's see. What about them just isn't breaking through? I think that they are better than Maroon 5. I think they blow the shit out of Maroon 5. I think they're better than a lot of the bands that are dominating the pop scene. And I can't explain it. This is... This is... When you hear music on the radio today... And you go, how come it doesn't sound like the 80s? That's when it sounded great. This band is doing that. Yeah, They're doing that big, great sound that we remember. How come? Are, are listeners just jaded to happiness and just want shit to make them feel miserable now? I mean, that's that could be part of it. I think it's, uh, you know, there's a couple of things. I think Maroon 5 and some of these other bands are grandfathered in. And so... Okay. They basically get a free pass. It's like, you know, Adam Levine's like, here, I recorded myself dropping a deuce and the band put some music to it. Here you go. And it's going to be okay. Um, and whereas Mariana's Trench has to, like, fight and claw to break through. Um, I think... When did Call Me Maybe come out? 2011. Okay. So, you know, with... You know, your Kesha's, your Lady Gaga's, your Katy Perry's. There was a pop resurgence at the time. So that the time was right for a song like that. I don't think... I th- Honestly, we should go back and see what charting hit in the States. Oh, I have that. They only had the one that... Sh- I believe it, One okay. Love. So yeah, that's... One Love. All things considered, that's a pretty basic song. I think Mariana's Trench is almost they're too talented for their own good. I think if they could if they had tried to push sing some of their more typical singles that were just very basic and pop, who knows? But I don't know. I mean you get a song like mm-hmm. Cross My Heart, that's a basic rock song, and there's no reason it shouldn't have couldn't have done better. But it's it's definitely a head scratcher. It is, but like we know, Ramsey can produce, he can write, he can sing, and they're a tight band. I think that that 
big breakthrough hit could still be to come. So knock on wood. And yeah, when they do put out that new <laughs> album, we'll review it here on the show. And we'll do that for all the bands we covered. So we gotta be we gotta be watching. And we're gonna be staying current next week. Uh, actually anything else you'd like to add about Mariana's trench after you know, this I journey mean, that we've been on? They're definitely the it, it it almost sounds funny to call because they're so pop, but they're almost the anti-pop because they're doing it. They're experimenting so much. They're doing it the right way because it's not stale. And whereas so much pop is just so stale that it's just it sucks so bad. And so I, I mean, I'm excited that they're Canadian. They're ours. You know what I mean? That it's like. I don't know, but uh, there's something I was gonna say. Oh yeah, they're also for all all encounters. You know, I've had nothing but the, that one positive encounter with them. But and also like you know, we've talked about this before, not on on the show, but they've always had when they go to the MMVAs, they always have these eccentric entrances and things like they just seem like goofy fun guys that despite the fact yeah. that it's been those four together yeah, like, for so long they haven't seemed to you know to it's like i'm off, sick of you but it's not get my the story fuck out of so you. they all seem to still enjoy each happens. other's company and they're my uh, old co-host they, they're in not shane mahoney told me the story okay and it happened to a friend of his so she went to go see mariana's trench and then she went to a bar after and Mariana's Trench was at the bar, and she saw Josh Ramsey talking to a bunch of girls. And I guess she, like, really fanned out, like, fangirl, like, oh, my God, Mariana's Trench, Josh Ramsey, Josh Ramsey, Josh Ramsey, And according to Shane, he turned around and said to her, would you shut the fuck up? I'm trying to get this chick's number. Turned around. <laughs> that was it. That's what he said. Now, I know he's a happy, happily married dude now. Um, I can't confirm that. That's just yeah. a friend of and a friend of a friend set. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you feel bad if that's true for the girl because they're just trying to be a fan. But also, it's like, you know, any time any famous person, it's, it's almost like a two-way street. They don't owe you unconditional, like, whatever. If you're going to be cool to them, they might be cool back. But if you're going to be a spaz and a wiener about it, and like, you know, Joe, I know we've, we have, you know, whatever you say about Joe Rogan, he's kind of said the same thing. It's like some of his fans get so intense that it's almost like creepy and that he's just like, hey, man, you need to, like, chill. Whereas, like, if someone was just, like, at the bar and they're like, hey, Joe Rogan big fan he's like thanks man and he might have he might take a moment for you but like it's because he's not like creeped out you know what i mean and it's like it's the same thing with anyone uh that would be yeah that would be terrifying meeting someone that oh man on his instagram <laughs> like yeah. thankfully he knows how to fight he's got a <laughs> bunch of guns so he can protect himself from any incredibly dangerous person that comes at him because um, go on his Instagram there's a hilarious scary. amount of people who have weird <laughs> Joe Rogan tattoos imagine that getting that big thumb shaped bald head tattooed on your body like some people some of his Jesus. fans are so intense it's a, ridiculous but that would be really scary uh, the last <laughs> Because that'd be the other scary thing too. Is they could probably fight because if they're that like obsessed yeah. with Rogan, they probably do mixed martial arts and shit like that. So you're looking at someone who's obsessive and crazy and yeah. probably really into conspiracies. Yeah. Who can also kick your but ass? The last That's thing terrifying. I'll say in that yeah. potential Ramsey story, assuming it's true, you know, I mean, if it was after a show, they had just given 
90 minutes most likely an hour 90 minutes of your t- like your heart your sweat you know that guy's a showman he's probably exhausted and he just wanted to have some time to himself and you know try to he's he's in, he's a private citizen he's allowed to finagle the ladies if he wants and you get this person salting your game just like just being a spaz i could be annoyed too it's like any any time any of our friends were at the bar trying to not not that we were the most fluent at pickup artists but if one of us was just being a real plug and just completely throwing a wrench into gears we would just turn around and be a big cunt (laughs) you shut the fuck up we would do that to each other anyway with no kidding me you ever try to date a girl next campbell all he does is insult you. <laughs> or he just sits and insults you, you to her face. He can't to do anything. A girl out, Campbell will just be like, "What are you doing with this piece of shit? He's such an idiot. He doesn't even deserve to live. I hope he gets hit by a bus, and maybe you'll go out with me." It's like, oh jeez. And this is supposed <laughs> to be one of our best friends, who I've known since I was five. Oh, it's a shame that the people who listen to this podcast don't know who he is, and also he doesn't get to hear yeah. this shit because he doesn't <laughs> listen to the podcast anyway. So it's just you and me venting because we can't say it in real life. So. Anyway, um, well, there's our trip through Mariana's Trench, and man, I had a good time. Yeah. I really, really enjoyed myself listening to Because I remember early on, I was texting you like, we need to bump this episode up. I think it'll be a good episode. And you were very hesitant. You're like, eh, I don't know, but... I didn't want to bump it up because I, uh, these next couple of episodes are strategically done. Yeah. Because of my work schedule, my schedule, my personal life, I know what kind of load for discography I can handle. And this week, I can handle five albums. And I'll be able to ha- handle the entire Hallucination discography next week, because that's what's next in the tube. Formerly known as a tribe called Red, the hip-hop and electronic artist known as Hallucination will be covered here on Canada FM. Probably the hippest <laughs> band that we've covered. I'm going to feel very cool doing a band that's <laughs> that we're not getting really cheesy about. <laughs> so that'll be good. Yeah, it'll be fun. <laughs> Yeah, it should be a good time when we do Hallucination next week. Brian's already put together a killer video package, too, by the way, that we'll uh, be posting on Monday. So look out for that on the IG, if you will. Um, That's our show. And we'll see you next week for Hallucination. Make sure you uh, follow us on Spotify. Give it a listen. And give us an old five-star review on the Apple Music, because we are indeed five-star men. (laughs) And I think that's all we got for today. Yeah. I'm Ted. I'm Brian. Oh, this is this is the terminology I wanted to get in. I got to work it into something. Uh, Brian, say something a little off. I promised Brent I would work this in. Say something that's kind of a little. Uh, that's that's a thing to say. Okay. Uh, right. I was walking down the street today and I just happened to poop my pants. Uh, that's a little sus. Sus? Really sus? You're trying to show, uh, shorten <laughs> suspect. <laughs> You're welcome, Brent. Uh, fucking <laughs> he feeds me the lines and I hear him home. Anything to get you all worked up. Actually, his wife Cassie gave me that line. So, uh, shut up there. so there you go. I knew it would get you upset. Hey, hey, Ted, <laughs> hey, Ted, you saying sus has really made me real ag. <laughs> That's not even a thing. I'm really ear. <laughs> Point taken. I'm angry. Then you know what? I've got the purpose way, perfect way to end this podcast. All right, Brian for Brian last. I'm Ted Jessup. You've been listening to Canada FM. Lates. (laughs) Yeah.